This programme is brought to you by Training Tilt. Training Tilt is a complete toolkit for coaches, health and fitness professionals and nutritionists. Combine your website, e-commerce needs, client communications and training plans into a single affordable platform. For more information, please go to www.lisatamati.co.nz forward slash training tilt. Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems and wisdom we can learn from them. So welcome to the show, everybody. It's Lisa Tamati here at Pushing the Limits. And today I have a very special man with me, Dave Werner, sitting in Christchurch. Dave, what's the weather like down there? I have to say, at least it's better than it has been for the last week. Uh, <laughs> there's no fog. Let's just say there's that. No it's a nice fog. sunny day and it's not raining. Ah. It's all good. Well, it is here. It's pouring down. It's been dreadful winter. But yeah, um, we can't complain. We do live in a beautiful country despite that. Absolutely. Now, Dave... I want to uh, let you introduce yourself a little bit to the to the listeners. Dave is an incredible person with a very, very interesting life story. And um, let's start at the beginning, Dave. Whereabouts did you come from? Where are your parents from? And uh, how did you end up here in <laughs> Well, you, you, if you want to talk about beating all the odds, I think the fact I'm actually here is a bit of a lottery in <laughs> itself. Um, my mother uh, was on holiday in Australia um, in the 60s, late 60s, and she bumped into an Indian gentleman who was on a, literally on a scholarship from the School of American Bakers in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father, obviously. Well, one thing led to another. They ended up getting married and moving back to India. Um, I arrived in 1967. And um, good vintage. <laughs> a year yeah. older than me. <laughs> oh, you know, you get to a certain point, you start to smile about it, really, don't you? It's quite funny. Um, but, I mean, if you think back about that sort of period, you know, this is the height of the Cold War. This is the height of, you know, a lack of enlightenment around political correctness, a complete absence of understanding um, about social structures and things. And in India at that time, my family didn't have a lot of money. So... Dad was studying at the uh, college, the bakery college, and teaching at that time in Mumbai. Uh, and we lived in pretty basic accommodation. Uh, in fact, I was I was born with a really, really, really high fever in a hospital um, with facilities which could best be described by modern standards as four walls and a floor. Oh, dear. Okay, so, so survival was pretty interesting, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's quite tough, you know. Um, Mum didn't have any support structures there. You can imagine being a a person from a, a second-generation New Zealand family, yep. originally from Danny Virk, uh, having come down to Wellington with her, with her parents and then having moved to Australia and now finding herself with no support in a country where she didn't speak the language with a baby. Can you imagine? What was she thinking? Well, that's... <laughs> She offered questions of herself, actually. <laughs> it must have been true love. You you wouldn't... That's a huge sacrifice to go to India oh, back in the massive, 60s. Massive. And yeah. it's hard... Look, you know, and I don't know how to explain it. I mean, we didn't have social media. You didn't even have decent phone capabilities. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it took months to find out what was going on. You can imagine it was really difficult. Yeah. So anyway, in about 1970s, in around the 1970s, uh, my parents decided to move to New Zealand. They decided to immigrate to New Zealand. And my mother tells this story, um, which is quite quite sad in a way, um, but it's quite cool, of, of meeting my father at, at Wellington Airport. Now, this is after, by the way, New Zealand Customs refused to let me in the country because they didn't believe I was actually the, my mother's child. Really? So she, because you were, obviously, she was a, 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 a white Kiwi woman? Yes. And she's got a little brown baby. A very brown baby with bright <laughs> blue eyes and blonde hair. <laughs> You would have been an interesting looking, interesting looking kid then. You would have been, a, oh, well, and, and, yeah. and I suppose customs went, this isn't right here. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong here. And of course, back in those days, things were a little less enlightened. Oh. Um, thankfully, my mother had a birth certificate uh, with her, which proved who I was. So you know, at the age of three, um, you know, here I am in New Zealand with my parents. My father arrives. And in those days, I don't know if you can think back this far. I think some of the listeners can. You know, airfares weren't cheap. No, hell no. Okay, really huge. expensive. Yep. Huge money. Um, and my mother often relates to me that she watched this Indian man getting off this plane in Wellington, um, and she knew he had two pounds fifty in his pocket. Oh. That was it. And yeah. So he had. He came to New Zealand with absolutely not even enough to buy a sandwich with. Nothing. So complete poverty, basically. Totally nothing, wow. Lisa. So what you've got to remember is the Indian government, and to this day still does this, will not let you take assets out of the country. Nothing. So you, nothing, nothing at all. Wow. I mean, it, uh, what then transpired was probably some of the hardest stuff I think anyone could probably go through uh, when they arrive in a new country. Now, this is the 70s, okay? Okay. There's no recognition of Māori land rights. There's no acceptance of anyone uh, outside the norm. You're in the middle of a jingoist kind of you're either red or you're not red or, or you're, you know what I mean? It's a cold yep. war. Yep. And here's this guy turning up, this Punjabi man turning up in New Zealand with no money, a wife and a kid. Wow. It's out there, right? Yeah. So... I can remember, um, you know, I can remember my parents finally, after a lot of toing and froing, getting a job, um, looking after a dairy in Auckland um, when they first arrived, and working literally 24 hours a day. Yep. Just to just get to started. Yeah. Just to survive. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, yeah, shocking. I, I suppose that they were, um, that was, would, would have been the same in India. Like your chances of, of getting out of poverty in India would have been even less than in New well, Zealand? You know, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to know, Lisa. We, you know, we often talk about it at home, but I think, you know, if you think about it logically, we might have been better off staying there. Yep. Um, the population size and the uh, level of willingness to take the take things that stage further was there. Yep. Uh, and, I, you know, it's spilt milk, but I think we might have actually done slightly better in the earlier stages in India, but I certainly don't think we'd have been able to make the progress we had now, uh, after coming the, here. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. was your childhood like growing up? Because you were you were half Indian, you were yeah. uh, mixed race. I mean, I grew up as a mixed race, but at, yeah. least, at least with Māori blood and not um, yes. Indian blood and, and, sure. and had, you know, smallish issues to deal with. But you yeah. 
had faced some major racism throughout your childhood? Severe. Severe, Severe racist behaviour. Really? Um, constant abuse. Really? Constant, constant, constant difficulties. Um, you know, it's really kids, you know, people often say kids can be really cruel, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you should try growing up in a primary school where everybody else perceives that you're automatically inferior because you are half Asian or something. Oh, wow. Again, you've got that whole, um, it was a very strange mix, you know, Lisa? Yep. It's like if you're really good at stuff like sports and things, sometimes things can be ignored. Yes, yes. This country does that. Yes, okay? they do. Yeah, and I still remember kids speaking Māori in, in the class being slapped over the knuckles with a ruler. Wow. This was in yeah. the 70s. I mean, this yeah. was in the 70s. Wow. I mean, we grew and, up not speaking the language because that what happened to my parent, my father, uh, who was Māori, um, wasn't allowed to speak the language. So we lost that. And, uh, you know, to this day, we don't, we don't speak it. You know? It's really a shame, you know. I mean, it, it's really hard. And then imagine that you're living in a family unit in that sort of community, which has acceptance issues. Yep. And... My father had no one else here. Oh, so lonely. So, totally lonely. So eventually the Indian community began to grow and it began to get more mature and we got more people in the, in the social circle. Things got better. You know, by the 80s, things were really easy, okay, comparatively. Yeah. Um, the racism stopped. By the time I went to Wellington College uh, in Wellington, that wasn't an issue anymore. Wow. Um, actually, that's a bit of an irony because 1981. I'm sure you remember 1981. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. With uh, South Africa. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and here we yeah. are. We've got it in our own backyard. Yeah, yeah, Racism. unbelievable. Yeah, just you know, uh, it's had a lasting impact on my sister, um, yep. who was born in 1970 in Palmerston North. Yep. Um, she's, she's to this day, worked quite strongly with disabled and disadvantaged people. In fact, actually, she's an Aboriginal land rights activist in Australia. Wow. And, How cool. And does a lot of work like that. Yeah, yeah. it's quite amazing. Um, so she decided uh, to fight it. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. She's amazing. She's got a degree in anthropology and she's very switched on. So why not? Yeah. But, um, I guess that's part of the thing. But I mean, I, I, still have, I still have vivid memories of being thrown out of Sunday school. Um, I have vivid memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've no idea. Some of the stuff that went on. Uh, someone one day chained up our driveway and painted racist slogans on the footpath outside our house. Wow. Uh, car windows being smashed. Um, bottles thrown at the property. Um, wow. It was quite, quite intolerant, you know. It was so quite out there. Were you, as a child, did you feel frightened and intimidated and lacking in self-confidence then because of all this treatment? Ironically, no, Lisa. No, no. I, I, I reacted the other way. I, I was a very sensitive child. Yeah. I was very retiring, but I worked out very, very rapidly that fear wasn't going to resolve the problem. Wow. And the best way of dealing with this was to make myself as uh, almost as invisible as possible, so that I wasn't a target. Mm -hmm. But equally, if there was any, op I smelt any opportunity for what I saw as group dynamics going in a certain way. Yeah. I learned very rapidly to identify those social behaviours, right, and how to diffuse them. Wow! So you learned to um, be a good negotiator very early. <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Um, and in fact, by the time I was twelve, I was the president of the school council. 
<laughs> so you turn those into, into real skills that you could use very quickly then. Yeah. Absolutely. Without, yeah. so yeah. without, you know, like I remember my father, for example, um, being very, when he got picked on and bullied, uh, which yeah. they did back then quite a lot, uh, I remember he nearly killed a young boy at school, you know, because yep. that yep. child, you know, was being a bully and, and trying to beat up on him. And uh, that was dad's answer to it. Kill the bastard yep. sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you, but you, you can understand you, that. You didn't, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do, but you didn't go that way. You went the negotiator, no, the no, diplomat. No. I went the negotiator and the diplomat with an edge, Lisa. Yep. Um, uh, my um, One of the things about my story which is a bit different which i think sometimes surprises a few people they they hear me speak and they don't they don't really believe this is that i was diagnosed very late in life with autism uh-huh i actually have asperger's oh really and one of the <laughs> yeah seriously yeah it's it's a really interesting situation yeah um uh, I still to this day have the, the some of the compulsions to stim and to do certain things, but I've learned how to overcome that. Yep. And I've learned the mental disciplines required to be able to manage it. Yep. Uh, and that's been a huge fight most of my life to actually just to be able to, you know, engage in what other people would describe as normal behaviour is it's so quite quite tough. Yep, yeah. So that normal social interaction. Uh, is difficult for you or has been difficult and you've had to over... Well, then it's even more amazing than what you've achieved in your career. You well, know? the career career to me is just a sideshow. It's not that important. <laughs> well, it's a uh, bloody I, big sideshow in your work life by the sounds of it, like well, reading your biography. Well, um, yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been somewhat... It's been quite interesting. I think, you know, people are driven for a variety of reasons, Lisa. Yeah. Uh, and you, you're one of the few people I can actually say that to, um, having seen what you've done. Yeah, I don't think I, I think it's a case of pot calling the kettle black here, just <laughs> quietly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if it was anyone else on the end of this 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 call, I I would probably I would probably have something else to say. But um, <laughs> what I would say is this: you know, you learn coping mechanisms very early, and one of the side effects of um, certain levels of of spectrum. It, sometimes kids have enhanced abilities in some areas. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, I have several. Oh, so you're you you you're quite well, super talented in, in a number of areas. Okay. I'm a little a little advanced. I would prefer to say. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say super talented, um, but one of them is reading. So, yep. I was able at the age of seven to read material which most people wouldn't probably get to till they're in their mid twenties. Wow. Okay. Okay, so by the time I hit 12, I'd read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica end-to-end, um, and I found that the library had some very interesting books. <laughs> Good to be really interesting when you're only a young fella. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll tell you what, it was, a, it was a great resource, you know, I made full use of it, because it was a great place to hide as well, you know, if kids were harassing you, you'd go to the library and bury yourself in books. Totally. Uh, so one of those was by a guy called uh, Mario Puzo. And, of course, that book's The Godfather. Oh, brilliant. Yep. Life-changing. Yep. Utterly life-changing. What? How? Um, how did it change you? Because it, it, it taught me that strategy was far more useful than reaction, that yeah. planning was easier to accomplish and usually more effective than simply uh, behaviour, and that basically if people treated you a certain way, there were ways and means of dealing with that 
that were appropriate to that situation and that allowed you to actually um, take control. Mm. So as I said, politics is a good way of resolving problems with an edge. Yep. So I understand to go out there and hit them really hard back, and I understand that when someone's bullying, you go and stomp on them. But what I would add to that is you must choose your time, your place, and the method of execution. <laughs> Sounds frightening. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It's just a good way for a small child to cope with a very difficult place. Yeah. yeah. So it's picking your, it's picking your battles and picking your own stage and when you yeah, yes. and being able to read. So what were some of the other talents if you like or abilities that you because you of your autism and your Asperger's were able to develop I mean obviously you had a really high intellect and a lot of these children have struggles with basic things social interactions looking each other in the eye concentrating focusing behavioral problems all those nice things all the good Um, stuff all the good stuff but then they have these other incredible abilities that mean that they can you know I mean, there's been a yes. lot of famous people with autism who have, you know, achieved amazing things in this world. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, if you were to sit down and have a look at the list of, of famous mathematicians, have a look at all of their portraits. And Take a good, long, hard look. Yeah. Not one of them's looking at the at the portrait artist. Right. So they're all... What is it that scares people? Just, you know, the simple act of looking someone in the eye. Uh, it's not about it's not about looking someone in the eye. It's just that the way that 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 you process at a certain point is different. So it's not about having a problem with looking someone in the eye. It's not a cultural issue. In some cultures, of course, looking people in the eye is yeah, just wrong. Yeah, totally. You don't you yep. don't do that, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, it's a form of submissive concentration. What you're doing is you're not looking at somebody while you process something. Uh-huh. Okay? So when somebody who's on the spectrum actually is talking to you but looking to the left or to the right, they're not lying to you. They're not being untrustworthy. They're not being difficult. They're processing. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on in there and they are unable yeah. to. Because if, they, yes. if you look into someone's eyes, you're immediately your focus and your concentration goes outwards, doesn't it? Correct. And yeah, when you're you gotta, looking away, then you can actually be in your own mind to think. It makes sense, actually. Correct. You're internalizing. And if, if you consider that basically autism is an, a disability around being able to filter out input, mm-hmm. everything, I, I mean, everything, even today, uh, I have problems with clothing because I don't like the feel of certain cloth. cloth. I mean, you know, it's everything smells Smells yeah. are a huge problem. Yeah, I've uh, got that one people, too. Maybe people I touching you. Yeah. <laughs> well, people touching you is another one, right? Yeah, you, yeah. You, you don't like it. Um, loud noises. Now imagine all of that at once. You, you, you've got the feel of skin on, clothes on your skin. Yeah. Noise from everything. Yep. You're acutely aware of everything happening around you. And it's all happening at once and there's no filter and there's no off button. Uh-huh. So that's what it feels like to be autistic. Or for some children. Yeah, that's what for some kids, that's what it's like. Now, those filters take time and most people to develop. Um, some people it's quick, some people it's slow. Um, if you then add other systemic disabilities like, um, uh, you know, learning impairments or uh, motor skills issues or other things, it becomes a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, some people are on the spectrum, they're never going to get off. Other people are on the spectrum and they can manage 
Some of us can evolve through it. Yep. But it's it's not the same for everybody. It's not a it's not a universal experience. Right. Uh, and there's so and, lots of coping mechanisms that you manage to develop in order to be able to interact normally. Correct. In the normal Absolute. way. Yes. <laughs> so so yeah. Yeah. So what that's how of, it works. And so, did that benefit you as you got older and in your career, and in a way that you had these special abilities and special intellect? I well, mean, it has. You were one of the world's leading experts on autonomous vehicles, which we'll get into a little Correct. bit later. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You, you've got a what is it? EMBA, EMBA from Holt yes, that's University. Right. You don't get that, you know, with your, with your Weetbix no. box. No, no. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've talked to your lovely wife about how she nearly killed you while you were doing it. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you try try living with try living with someone on the spectrum having a tantrum. It's not a good look. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can imagine it would be a, a challenging, challenging yeah. experience. But you've been able to, you know, obviously you've been able to harness the good sides and mitigate yes. the, the the bad sides. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the, that's the key to it, Lisa. Um, I was. IQ tested very early um, by um, a couple of American universities, and the results were, uh, how can I put this? They were off the chart. Really? I'm uncomfortable talking about the exact results. I do know what they were. I don't want to say, but I'll just say they were off the chart. Yeah. And there's a classification for people like me, which is quite, I don't like it. It's a label. It's yep. like you know, labeling people something. It's It's... It's something which I don't agree with because I think everything's subjective and relative and I think everybody in their own way is capable of extraordinary things. And yes. if they're prepared to actually go further and push past their own rubbish, yep. they can achieve amazing stuff, right? Exactly. That's right? what we're all about, pushing past their own crap so that we can yeah. get to the good bits. Yeah, right. <laughs> so if you if you think about – if you could imagine reading an 800-page textbook on Monday – and then sitting an exam on the Friday and being able to recall 95% of the 800-page textbook, what That's would I say to you? insane. That's insane. I, I, I wouldn't be able to recall 1%. <laughs> right. So, so now imagine I can remember just about every line from every movie I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. If you then add in that I also have recall for probably about 85% of what I've read or seen or heard oh. or been around... Yeah. Then add some kinetic skills to that. So think about it like this. If you can control how you think, what else can you control, Lisa? Your whole autonomous system, your yeah, your physiology. Right. Wow. So I'll give you I'll give you a recent example. Um, I got an ingrown toenail. Yep. Yuck. Okay. Horrible. Yuck. I yep. mean, toenails are a problem. Uh, I'm sure you know about this. Yeah, right? I keep losing you, mine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you would. I mean, man, I don't know how you do what you do. But seriously, I had a badly ingrown toenail. And because I don't experience pain the same way as normal people, um, my pain thresholds are extremely high. Wow. Uh, this thing had developed spikes, which were digging into my toe. Quite yep. deeply into my toe. It had to be removed. It's the usual problem. Yep. Uh, it's compounded by wearing certain types of boots, but we won't go there. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in Scotland. I'm having this toenail removed, and the anaesthetic wears off. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd be crying at it. this stage. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. You're not. It's just. No. I compartmentalise the pain, reduce my heart rate, 
accept that the pain's there, embrace it, move through it, and, and, and insisted that the operation continued. Wow. I nearly how? passed out. Yeah, but how do you do that? Like, I was in a situation just last week when I was in hospital yes. with um, uh, ladies' problems. Ex- yes, pain to the yep. nth degree. We're talking Which is indescribable. Indescribable. Yeah. I know your wife has the same dramas. We're friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, indescribable pain. And I yeah. am, have a high pain tolerance, yeah? Yes, and obviously. Yeah. yeah, I have a, a high ability to suffer. But I yeah. was unable to do be anything but a screaming child at that moment yeah. and unable to control my body. I was doing the breathing exercises. I was desperately trying to keep in control of my mind and unable, yeah. unable to. How do yeah. you do that? How on earth can right. you manage to, do, manage to do that? Right. I have one skill that you do not. I can actually teach you, but it will take several weeks, but I yep. can teach you. I shut my mind down. So you can actually shut parts of your brain uh, yes. from operating? Yes. Wow. I can actually put myself into a coma. Wow. Not, not highly recommended, probably. <laughs> no. No, it's a survival skill. Yeah. So uh, I, my heart rate reduces down to around 20 beats a minute or lower. Wow. My blood pressure drops like a stone. My breathing um, can cease for anything up to five minutes at a time, as long as I'm reasonably well oxygenated. Um, I can actually suspend my system almost indefinitely to avoid extreme pain. Wow, this Short is incredible. Answer. I'm coming down to do, to do this course with you. I want to <laughs> I can learn teach this. You. I know, I'm serious. I can't teach you to do this. Yeah, I'd so love to it's, learn this. Control. It's... it's um, it's a form of very basic yoga. It's a very, very old skill. It's it's not new, but just takes the ability to actually understand your physiology yeah. to a point where you have a connection between, as you already know, between breathing and performance. Oh, yeah. Massive. Right? And you, you know that. Yep. I mean, you run ridiculous distances. Yep. You and push through pain all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So now now imagine that you're running those ridiculous distances and you're pushing your body through that pain and now you can actually switch off the oh, that neurons. That would be marvellous. <laughs> Instead of having to suffer through every bloody step. <laughs> Think about it. Well, I've, I've watched you do it, I have, I have to say. I've watched you do it. I, I, honestly, uh, I, I was cringing with some of the footage. Without any meditative skills <laughs> without well, use of skills but <laughs> I've used yeah those though i tell you <laughs> well it's the last it's a last bit of trick i mean if you actually have a look on the world stage of extreme athletes yep there are people who do deep dives yes yeah right and they, they, they cease breathing yep. for minutes at a time yep. in fact up to half an hour yeah it's the same techniques yep. there's no difference and it, 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 yeah have you heard of the guy wim hof yes yes yeah. Let's, wow, I mean, what do you say to that? It's amazing, isn't he? Incredible. You, incredible. Yeah. Like, and Wim Hof, for those listeners out there who don't know who he is, he's a, the Iceman, and he can be submerged in ice water for hours. He can ward off when they inject him with diseases. He can ward them off just through yes. his mind power. He's yeah. climbed Mount Everest in a T-shirt. He's yeah. done the North Pole in, in, in a T-shirt. He's... He's incredible, and he's una- he's able to control his physiology on an autonomic, what do you call it, nervous system level. Nervous and you level. have similar skills to that. Yeah, similar. In so, fact, I can control my body temperature as well. So wow. that's very useful. So you did 
uh, yoga to to learn these skills, a special Correct. type of yoga, and and you did mixed martial arts too in, in the day. I was involved in the martial arts scene for a very long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you learned these skills in the course of those two practices? Correct, yes. Yeah, so these are ancient, yeah. old traditions. Very old school, yeah. There's nothing new about any of this. It's not – and, you know, this is the whole point. You know, science can give you a lot. Um, it can give you speed. It can give you strength. It can give you – more oxygen in your system. Yep. If I mean, you know, as most athletes out there who who take um, various medications yep. know, it can also get you banned from the Olympics. Yes. Just uh, very quickly. Mm. You've got to watch that. You've even got to watch how much coffee you have these days. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, no cough medicine. Nothing. Well, nothing. <laughs> yeah. You can't take anything, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, the one thing that science can't can't give you is the power that you have in your own mind. Yeah. And, that, and I mean, I've had glimpses, as an ultramarathon runner, I've had glimpses yeah. into that world. Yes. But I've never been able, and I know the the capabilities, like I know, and I cannot do this on, on demand. This is what I yes. have not been able to do. But I know that I've, I've reached times in my life when I've been doing extreme races or in, in yeah. extreme life-threatening situations where I've gone beyond anything that I could ever pull out on a day-to-day basis. And I exactly. haven't been able, though, to click into what is it that I'm clicking into in those right. times. Right, yes. You know, and this is why this sort of practices and stuff does interest yeah. me. And to be able to control your physiology, um, it would be a dream, you know. Yeah. Um, to be able to fight your own diseases, to be able to control your own body temperature, to be able to, Absolutely. when you're in pain because something's happened like the other night to me, that I would be not have to go and have morphine, that I would actually be oh. able to get, you know, and that I think is how, and I think for most listeners will be going, I want a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, is it I'm going sure. to take me 40 years up on a mountain meditating no, to get there? No, no, <laughs> it doesn't take 40 years up a mountain. Look, um, there's a huge mythology around this stuff, right, which is that you you have to start by sweeping the floors and then you move to uh, arranging yes. the flowers. <laughs> and then eventually you go end up in a cave somewhere in Tibet, wiping off, on and wiping off. off. Yeah. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> and then you, you practice weird positions which make you look like a sweeping crane. Yes. And then following all of this, you know, you reach some sort of state of enlightenment when exactly. someone gives you a black right? We haven't got time for well, that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I've got bad news for everybody, actually. It consists of sitting in a chair for hours, focusing on your inner self. Mm-hmm. That, uh, oh, that's hard too. Yeah, now, so, so imagine, if you will, I'll, I'll give you an example of the kind of discipline, and this is something your listeners can try, actually, and I think they might find it useful. If you close your eyes and you imagine a room that you're incredibly familiar with, one you know intimately, it doesn't matter what room it is, it doesn't matter what color it is, it doesn't matter where it is, just close your eyes, take a big, deep breath in, and through your nose, out through your mouth, And have a think about a room that you know intimately. Now, I want you to take an object you want to remember. And I want you to put that in a drawer or a cupboard or on a space or on a shelf in that room. Okay. Got it? Yep. Great. Now, in three days, I want you to go back and I want you to retrieve it. Okay. You can do that. And you know what? You will. Yep. So, you, now, so this is a classification system, isn't it? 
Correct. A, me- a memory ca- classification system. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now apply that to pain. Okay. So you put the pain up on a shelf somewhere in that Correct. room. Correct. You remember it. Yep. You understand it. You know what it is. You've actually classified it. You stored it in a location where you can access it. Yeah. And guess what else you could also access? You can access relief. So you can pop the pain down on that shelf, go And then over. take something and replace it with something else. Uh-huh. Now, that kind of technique is, is quite advanced. It takes a few years to learn how to do that. That's not something that someone could just immediately do. But the idea of putting something you don't want to forget in what we call a mind palace is nothing new. No. It's been around for, for decades, centuries. It's a very old school technique. That's, but I, I know that technique from just listening to podcasts recently and, and on memory, you know, memory yes. learning lists, using yes. your body parts to remember your shopping list or exactly that type exactly. of thing. So it's the same type of thing you're talking about here? Right, exactly the same type of thing. So what I'm saying, Lisa, is you can abstract yourself yep. from reality by actually understanding that the reality that you're in is nothing more than electrical signals that are managed by your brain. Yes. Yeah, get that. Okay. So when you when I'm, say, running through, I don't know, Himalayas, Death Valley, somewhere. Somewhere severe. I'm somewhere severe. My body is in under extreme duress, extreme yes. fatigue, extreme yes. amount of pain, sleep deprivation. Yes. How, and I've always been looking for this key, and you'll get it for a few minutes at a time where you yes, go into the yes. zone and you've, you're, you're no longer in your body. You're yes, somewhere yes. else. You're building your house yep. or you're doing something and, and your mind yep. is off and you've managed to go off. And then yep. you, and all of a sudden some, something will distract you and it will bring you back into your body. Which and, hurts and, like hell. Which hurts yep. like shit. And then you remember where you are and it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did you bring me back here? <laughs> sure. I know um, exactly how that feels. Yeah. yeah. So is that the sort of... Uh, mechanism am I touching Ex- on the sides of you, that uh, what you're doing is exactly what I've just described but you're letting your subconscious drive the bus okay so what's happening is you're getting to a point of absolute sensory deprivation yes which is really quite significant because what you're doing is you're shutting down and when you do those ultra marathons Lisa yep. and I've watched your videos and I've watched <laughs> you do it I can probably pinpoint the exact moment that happens. Yep, where you go off into la-la yeah, land. I could, I could probably tell you that I could see it on your face. Yep. What happens is you retreat into your subconscious. At that point, your conscious mind is no longer there. Yep, and that's a good thing. That's where you want to be. Yeah, but I because cannot stay in that state. No, that takes practice, and you've got to learn to do that outside of the extreme event. Yeah. When you're in it, it's, you know, hey, look, everyone's had this experience, okay? You're in the car and you're driving from, say, Wellington to New Plymouth. You arrive in New Plymouth and you go, actually, wait a minute, what happened to about 22 kilometres of that? Yeah. Oh, totally. Where you right? just missed, you can't remember where you were. Right. You've lost 30 minutes, haven't you? Yeah. Yep. Okay. You've put yourself on autopilot. Wow. Now, it's really dangerous, actually. You shouldn't do that driving. No. But people do do it, okay? And it's it's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about. In your situation, because the pain levels you've got are so extreme, yep. 
it's going to be very hard for you to actually keep yourself there. There's always going to be something that's going to try and yank you and yank you out. And that takes management and that just takes just a bit more training of the conscious mind to let go. Yeah, that's all it is. But how Um, do you keep yourself alive when you're in a state like that? So, you know, um, you're in in a crisis situation or whatever, you've got to be able to, you know, have I drunk enough? Have I eaten enough? All those yes. what I call like associative things where I'm associating and, li- and listening to my body and yes. listening very closely to my body. Have I been doing the regime that I've got to do to get through this exactly. race? And yeah, then exactly. other times you're trying to disassociate yourself from your body. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to yeah. keep the, yeah. on these two levels of one yeah. is I'm keeping an eye that I'm not forgotten to drink for the last two hours yeah. and I haven't peed for four hours and I'm in yeah. deep trouble. On yeah. the other hand, I don't want to be there. I want to be off somewhere else. And the, right. the sensory yep. deprivation is, and they've actually done studies on ultramarathon runners doing extreme long events, and they found yep. that it actually shrinks their brain. Sorry, yes. I'm sorry, runners yes. out there, but we shrink our brains by about something like, I don't know, 5 or 6% within you a, do. It does come back, but yeah. um, uh, the, apparently the sensory deprivation, the fact that you're just in the one looking at, the ground going yep. like this and yep. you cannot yep. escape yourself actually parts of your brain start to die yeah oh <laughs> well they do temporarily they do. at least yeah yeah no they do i mean you, you you've got to you've got to you've got to realize that your body's cellular structure even when you're not involved in extreme marathons every day billions of cells die yes yep we're renewing right? all the time totally. all the time so so the first the first comment i'd make is that you know Yes, there's a point at which you have to maintain a connection between the real and the perceived, okay? And then above that, there's the state of absolute calm that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, for you to reach into that calm, you do not let go of the real. Okay. The real is really important because if you let go of that... Well, hold on. Who's driving the bus? I mean, that's why you're Who's into, driving the that's bus? That's why you're okay. into autonomous vehicles. <laughs> well, I love autonomous vehicles. Uh, Maybe that's yeah. why, because you like to be red... autonomous yourself. <laughs> exactly. You know, life, life, life's great if you can just cruise through, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but no, seriously, you just have to, you have to see it from a point of view of layers, okay? And the most important thing you have to have faith in is your own autonomic nervous system. Okay, explain that. Okay, so 95% of, you know, one of my favorite things to say to people is, are you aware that you're breathing? No, not, not generally. Only Most when I go aren't. to consciously relax myself, then I'm aware of it. Right, no one does. No one is, right? Are you aware that you blink no. every te- two-tenths of a second? Are you aware that your heart is pumping X hundred liters of blood through your system every day? No. Of course you're not. No. Why not? It's part of your autonomic nervous system. It is the structural component of your skeletal or muscular frame that keeps you alive. On okay? autopilot, yep. Yeah, it always is, but it's supervised, okay? We have various organs that supervise that. Mm-hmm. Those organs continue to function whether you're in a heightened state of awareness or not. But you have to have faith that they're there, and you have to understand that they're working. Yeah, you have to be tuned into that. So, okay, so if I increase my body temperature, what's that going to do to me? Well, that's going to increase my heart rate. It's going to increase my blood pressure. It's going to mean that for a few minutes, I might feel slightly dizzy or even nauseous. There's a side effect. There's always a consequence. You can't do something without something else um, happening, yep, right? Yep, yep. 
So no, in terms of the extreme space that you're in, those glimpses that you see of yeah. nirvana when you're running, yep. that's the kind of state that you'll find advanced yogis live in almost continuously. They're blissed out. Wow, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You know, but do they um, not have to live in the real world where we they have do. to actually make they, an income? They do. And... Yeah, pay them mortgage and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's why these people reject society and go and live in caves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, but in all seriousness, you can't reject society and go and live in a cave. Well, you can't. No, not that's not happen. pragmatic. No, okay? it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen. But I, I'll give you an illustration of something else you may have experienced, and it's, it's something a lot of people have. If you've been in a bad accident, for some people, they'll say afterwards, everything went really slowly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the time, now we're talking, oh, I love all this stuff, eh? So now we're looking at the time is all warped and we have different parts of our brain that register time and space and all these things. Right. And sometimes right. they are yep. turned off and you can yep. see a crash happening in real time and it's all in slow motion. And you, it feels and, like it, doesn't yep. it, right? Yep. Totally. Okay, right. Now imagine that you're standing in front of someone with a large sword and they're bringing that down on you at full speed. Yep, and you and can it's slow moving. it down. You can slow that down to an inch a second. Like you see on the movies. Like you see on the oh, movies. All that, yeah. Okay. So then you can make the correct decisions and all the time in the world. Right. Uh -huh. There's no shortage of time. Wow. What's actually happening is that you've dumped your, again, you've dumped a lot of your filters. You've put yourself into a frame or a space where your ability to perceive really rapid events comes to the fore. And in actual fact, nothing's changed. That's still moving at the speed it's moving at. All that's happening is your brain is interpreting it differently. Uh -huh. so now, you, here's the trick here. You got it. Your brain's sped up, sort of. Right. Somehow, you've sped up your ability to perceive that event. Ah. And... and yeah, you've got it. So now your brain's running slowly, but guess what? Your body isn't. So when you look at advanced martial artists, really advanced martial artists, yep. the speeds they move at look like a blur. Yeah. Okay? And you're looking at it going, aren't you tearing muscle? Aren't you destroying tissue? Yeah. You know, fast twitch fiber goes a certain speed, but whoa, that's way over the top, right? It's not. It's just that essentially their minds are almost permanently in that state. They can react to stuff after it started. And you start to see that behavior. You mentioned someone who can wear a T-shirt going up Mount Everest. Yeah, Wim Hof, yeah. Again, again, same thing. Controlling his body temperature. Controlling body temperature, but also controlling his mind. He is in charge of himself. And therefore everything else around him is irrelevant. And, you know, that's the sort of thing you can achieve if you have that kind of training. Well, you know, um, just to, to harp, uh, you know, back to a situation, once again, when I was, because I've been in and out of hospital with this problem that I've got. Yeah. And the first time I went in there, I did not control my breathing. Right. Huge Even problem. Even though I know, I know the, the things, but because it had taken me by such a surprise and it was the first time, uh, yeah. I didn't control my breathing and I started to hyperventilate. Now, right. the consequences were then far, far worse that first time than yeah. the consequent, the, the later attacks that I've had. Absolutely. The later, because I've, 
even though it's been really difficult to control my breathing in those situations, I have managed to control it to a degree. Whereas in the first time, I actually dropped my own potassium levels. I, you know how you when, you when you hyperventilate, that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, sent yeah. Off, that sent off the cramps and the convulsions, yeah, so that yeah. my whole entire body was convulsing. Oh. And Ow. when the next time hit, and I, my husband, I got my husband to talk to me, like really close in the face, talk to me, yeah. breathing, counting my breathing, like you yeah. see the, the men do when, the, when their wives are having babies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But Same process. I did not yeah. get to that stage where I lost complete and utter control, close to it. Great. Not, I didn't have the convulsions. I didn't have the blood pressure drop. I didn't have right. the potassium level drop right. In, right. The, in the actual blood. Um, and that was just controlling the breathing. And obviously yeah, I'm, I, I'm not a master at this, and this is a, the very, you know, scraping along with the edges of this discipline. Absolutely. But that yeah. proved to me yes. that I, even though I don't know how yet, I could stop the pain if I you had can. more training and I could the other side of that can you control diseases within your own body if you yes. have an autoimmune disease I mean, or in the case with me with tumours or can yep. you shrink your own can you control can you learn to do that is that a possible yes I've witnessed it you have Tell I've me seen it where... I've seen it I've seen I've seen one example of um, a gentleman in Germany who's a very good friend of mine, yeah. um, who basically was diagnosed with bowel cancer. Mm-hmm. And at the age of about 38, decided that he was going to start meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, within three months, the cancer had reduced in size uh, by 45 to 50%. Wow. Within eight months, it had reduced down to like something like 90%. Wow. Uh, it was removed. It was sim- it simply removed. It was a minor surgical procedure using an endoscope, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 12 months period. Wow. Now, he still followed conventional therapy. So it's really important that I, I think this is where things go really wrong. Yeah. You know, you cannot reject conventional therapy, okay? That's not right. That's wrong. You should also look at conventional options. But the answer to your question is, yes, I've seen disease removed. Yeah. That's one example. I have watched people sustain horrific injuries and literally walk away to the nearest medical facility with injuries that should have killed them, yep. and yet they're not. And they've managed to hold themselves together long enough to get medical attention. I, I mean hold themselves together. I'm yep. not joking. I'm, yep. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into detail. I'll just say it's pretty bad. And I've yep. seen it. I've personally witnessed it. Yep. Um, in my own life, there's been a couple of injuries which have been so severe Yep. That, um, you know, I, I've got to sort medical attention. Of course you do. Yep. But I've been advised by doctors that they can't understand why I'm still breathing. <laughs> um, which is, which, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? What they all you, can't. Some, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One's, one, one of, my, one of my, my personal favorites, however, is a guy who, um, again, I've known for now two decades. He's a very close friend of mine. He has HIV. Mm-hmm. He's HIV positive. And I've lost a lot of friends to that disease mm-hmm. um, over the years, and it's never easy. No, horrible. Okay. Horrific. Uh, and, you know, for those people out there listening to this, I just want to say uncategorically that the total lack of progress that, that I see on sorting that disease out is an international disgrace. Yep. 
and, and really wrong. And I, I sincerely hope they get to the, the bottom of it eventually. But, you know, he's been controlling his autoimmune disease with a cocktail of drugs. But recently he's been able to back that down because he doesn't get colds anymore. What's he doing? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. But for some reason, he's not getting colds anymore. And he's a meditator. He meditates three times a day. Um, he's, you know, he's a he's a amazing individual. Uh, uh, and when you when you talk to people like that, you sort of suddenly think, well, what's it about? And you know what he said to me? It was really quite telling. He said, oh, I didn't need them. Mm. I can totally understand that, yeah. Think, think so, about that. Yep. that, how, what, that what kind of a head job is that, you mm. know? It's like, oh, I didn't need a cold, so that's it. I'm not going to get any more, right? Yep. Wow. So he's made a decision. And what do you say to that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, most of us would say, well, that's rubbish. You cannot choose whether you're going to get a cold and someone's going to sneeze oh, on you. Or... I'm sure that the viruses are in his body. I'm sure that they are right. And I am absolutely sure that the medication he's on uh, deals to those viruses and knocks them out and knocks them flat. I'm absolutely sure that if basically, you know, uh, he wasn't on those medications, one of them would have probably got him. Mm. But equally, I have to look at that and go, you know, 10 years? Really? Wow. Doing well. Doing well. So who knows? So the answer, the short answer is I've seen evidence that you can actually reduce yeah. those sorts of effects. And, and I think, I, you know, you and I both don't have all the answers to these uh, miraculous recoveries. No, or, no, uh, no, but no. you know what? There's something more than what our doctors are aware of. I mean, I've seen it with the, the journeys that I've been on in the last sure couple of years have. with my mum and, and that they do not have all the answers, although they no. tell you they have the answers. Yeah. And you will not be able to do this and you will not be able to do that. And I go, well, actually, I know that the body is capable of far more than what you ever knew it was. Exactly. And, you know, with, with cases like mum, uh, who had an aneurysm uh, and was left wow. in a v v not much above a vegetable when she came out of a coma. She Oof. had very little higher functions left. Wow. And after three months, you know, she wasn't, and people have heard me tell the story, but... She, she wasn't going forward when she was in the rehabilitation. But we, since we got her home and I did hyperbaric oxygen therapy with her, I did a whole right. plethora, right. plethora of things, not just one thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, she's beaten the odds. And wow. That, and, and, and now she's, she's completely normal. Um, wow. You know, you wouldn't notice if you were sitting with her that she's got anything until she goes to walk and then she's very wobbly. Yeah. She's very, yeah. very fragile and walking still, but she's ditched the wheelchair and after 18 months she's walking, <laughs> you know. It's so cool. <laughs> it's yeah. really cool. And this rocks, is all, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is just straight hard bloody work and yeah, the use yeah, of oxygen, yeah. hyperbaric and, and, and so on. But the difference between her and someone who ends up in a rest home and never, ever recovers from the same no, injury I, is yeah. the mindset yeah. and is <clears throat> the ability to fight day in, day out through and yeah. I know that that's possible. And so when you, when you, you know, you have a stubborn person, they can they can hit their head through the wall and just keep going and keep going and fight through. However, I would love to learn some <laughs> shortcuts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, okay. and I think we'd all love to learn how to control our bodies more. Yeah. Well, um, I think people should. I mean, why shouldn't you? I mean, the knowledge is readily available. Well, I mean, this is. It. 
this is the thing I don't understand. You know, I mean, this stuff, this stuff is not uh, secret knowledge. It's certainly not uh, forbidden knowledge. It's available to anyone who chooses to look. Mm. It's there. Um, I think the issue is <laughs> there's, there's a stigma with some of it. You know, I think totally. I'm sure there's the spiritual, you know, the, this is hocus whatever. pocus, and yeah, and, yeah, and, and you know, there is a lot of rubbish out there. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. But there is also some things that are unexplainable, and you've tapped yes. in your life. I mean, let's get back to you and a bit about your life, what you've done, you know, in your in your career and how you've overcome yeah. some of the odds. And you know, you you have achieved. You've been an extreme athlete. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, you have done uh, incre- had an incredible career. You're one of the world's leading experts in autonomous vehicles, of all things. I mean, of what all that, things. What, what the yeah. hell is that for a start? Let's explain. Oh to people. no, well. If you imagine, I mean, you know, um, I've I've built a career on, on being an expert in intelligent transport systems over the last 20 years, um, which is kind of like a strange fusion of technology, roadside, and IT. Yep. And obviously, if you're the sort of person who likes technology and likes messing around with things, that's a logical place to go, right? Why yep. not? Yep. So I've, I've built some pretty large things in the last 20 years and, and the largest in the middle east yes yeah, so uh, i've done a lot of work doha i believe and qatar, qatar saudi and malaysia, arabia saudi arabia malaysia. Yeah. yeah with all kinds of interesting places yeah multi-billion dollar contracts projects, and projects. Yeah. that's right so what yeah. sort of you know for the uninitiated you know what is coming at us what is Ooh. coming in, in the future as far as driverless cars and okay. intelligent yeah. transport systems that don't, I don't know, airplanes that don't need pilots or what, what's coming at us? Okay, <laughs> well, let's, let's, okay, let's, re, let's rewind a bit. So, actually, airplanes haven't needed pilots since the mid-80s. Oh, well, yeah, well, they do have autopilot, but we hope there's still, still a guy landing at us. <laughs> <laughs> actually, they've, actually, actually, basically the mid-80s, Boeing and a whole bunch of other people perfected it and a, Companies that eventually fall, people like Airbus, um, have perfected, well perfected automatic landing systems and takeoff systems. Um, the aviation industry is an extraordinary industry because it's totally transparent. Mm-hmm. When something goes wrong, it's not hidden up, it's not shoved under the carpet, it's not put away. So they totally analyze it, then they publish the results. And then those results are available for anyone to work on. Wow. And the industry improves itself. It's a self-learning paradigm. Great. So, okay, look, today, today, today's news, right? You have a much greater chance of being killed crossing the road than you ever have of being in an airline crash. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible. Yep. Medical misadventure. You are 200 times more likely to die in a hospital than you are in a plane. Yes, that's what worries me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. There's a, there's a yeah. wonderful book, actually, it's, uh, it's Mind called, you, I think you it's, go to hospital when you're sick, so I suppose that's an unfair well, comparison. But yeah. I think I'm being, I'm being unreasonable, but <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a wonderful book called Black Box Thinking, and I'm trying to remember the name of the author. For your listeners, get it. Seriously, get it. It's a comparison between misadventure in the medical industry and misadventure in the aircraft industry, but I'm digressing. <laughs> the, point, the point is autonomy. So things have been able to fly themselves and drive themselves for a while. Mm-hmm. Here's reality. When you mix that up on the street with the average human being, it just doesn't work. So it's okay. our fallibleness, if you like, if that a word. We're fallible. 
We're completely fallible, yeah. okay? We, we make bizarre decisions. We make poor decisions. Yes. We get drunk. Yeah. We drive drugged. We drive angry. Yep. We have a perception that our cars are clothes, <laughs> and we wear them that way, yeah. okay? We have a thought, this idea that we have a right to personal transport. So what do we do? We all go out and buy cars, and there's one of us in it. Mm-hmm. Um we like personal, we like public transport, but we want our own personal transport at the same time. Mm. Okay, right. Guilty. You got the picture. Yeah. Guilty? Guilty. Guilty, Guilty is charged. Guilty. Okay, yep. all right. So if you could imagine a future where you don't own a car, mm-hmm. if you want a car, you click on an app on your phone and the car arrives and takes you wherever you want to go. Wow. And it doesn't care whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. It doesn't care whether you're young or old. If you're blind, it helps you. If you're deaf, it helps you. Wow. Anywhere to anywhere without you doing anything. That's what's coming at us. That would be be great, actually. It's nearly here. So here's the point. So what I'm doing at the moment, I'm rolling these things out, yep. but I'm rolling out the last mile. So what I'm rolling out is a very basic version of that. It still follows a track. It's like light rail, but it doesn't have rails. Mm-hmm. So it runs on wheels and it follows a path, if you like. It avoids things that get in its way. It stops if something goes wrong. It knows where you want to go. It knows when you're on. It knows when you're off. It makes decisions about various things. And it looks after you in the process. So we're trialing these things. So I've just uh, literally participated in a launch of one of these in New South Wales in Sydney Olympic Park. Amazing. So look, I'll tell you what a beautiful spot. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. Um, And we've got a trial in Christchurch, which we've been running now since the beginning of the year. Um, The next step for us is to try to look at how we can put artificial intelligence in these machines. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not just making decisions based on what it reacts to. It's going to make decisions based on what it predicts is going to happen. Far out. Now, have a think about that for a minute. Just yeah. if you can think about a situation or a scenario where, let's, for example, say you're traveling from, again, Wellington to New Plymouth, and the car now gets a weather report over the internet that says that State Highway 1's flooded, automatically reroutes, takes another route. Mm-hmm. Do you care? No. no. Well, no. Do, do, you, do you want to know? No. So it makes those decisions for you. Right. So what, what about the limitations or the facts that legislation, uh, yep. the fallible nature of humans, yes. the mass you know, cities that we're living with, billions of us, how can a system yes. like that even Work, be, right? you know... Uh, I mean, the complexity of rolling a system yep. out that nationwide or worldwide. Right. right. So let me, let me give you an insight of the complexity. If you consider that every single street in a city on an average day would have tens of thousands of vehicles running along it, mm-hmm. if you consider those vehicles are under individual control by individuals who are going to behave randomly. Yep. If you <laughs> if you then consider that sometimes they're behaving randomly at very high speeds, separated from each other in different directions by paint. Yep. 
You see, you're laughing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. When you're you put it like that, because just because we absurdity. all follow the rules, hopefully, uh, yeah, but, it works. But yeah, yeah. you see, I, I do this to people. They start laughing. And I, I just point out. You see, even you think it's stupid. Yeah. Right. And yet it's reality. Yeah. It's what we do. Yeah. So okay, now put autonomous vehicles in the mix. Yeah, well, that's going to complicate. That's going to be interesting, right? Yeah. Let's look at that. It's going to know what you're going to do before you do it. It's going to know what's ahead of it in terms of traffic congestion, blockages, delays, and everything else before you do, because you're still in your car driving your car your way. Yeah. It's going to react much faster to, to your car stopping, but it will react proportionally to the car behind it so it doesn't cause an accident. It's going to maintain perfect distance from objects, people, things, and structures. It's going to route so that it conserves energy in the vehicle, so it doesn't matter what happens. It's got power left at the end of the day to look after you and to get you where you need to go, because it's likely to be electric. Likely. Right. I didn't say will be, likely. All right. It can coexist with you. But what, what about, you know, system failures? I mean, we all... Get, you know, we just got on Skype and had a technical issue. <laughs> for goodness' sake, and Skype's been As around usual. for a fair bloody long time. Uh, oh, what happens in the, in the car when the when this autonomous vehicle right. decides to have a blip? Okay, so this is where you start learning lessons from the airline industry, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing. So, right. so we're not looking at say the medical industry. We're looking at the airline industry. It's Why? Disaster the medical industry. <laughs> <laughs> the medical industry is yeah. We won't go there. Don't there's, go there. There's, I think we should just avoid lawsuits here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think um, if you look at if you want an analog for how to do something, look at the look at the airline industry. Yep. So planes have not one but two but three systems. Uh-huh. They have triple redundancy. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So in the autonomous vehicle space, we don't just have one computer. We normally have three. Wow. We don't have one communication method. We normally have at least two. If we can, we go for three. In the end, vehicles will talk to vehicles. So when you're driving behind the vehicle in front, it's talking to you, you're talking to it. And for the people listening to this, I'd urge you to go and have a look at the videos on YouTube of the Volvo truck platooning test. Okay. Conducted Volvo in Sweden. Volvo truck platooning test. The Volvo truck platooning test, and look at the live footage of what Volvo did. And you'll begin to understand how this will work. Those vehicles are not under central control at all. What happens is the truck in the front has a driver. The two trucks behind are not. Mm -hmm. They're autonomously following the guy in the front. Mm -hmm. Okay? And allowing cars to merge and and demerge, allowing things to overtake, adjusting their distances dynamically. Go and have a look. It'll freak freak you out, really, seriously. Cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, have a look. Put the link in there. Go and have a look. Look, seriously, it's going to be a situation where because we're taking the keys out of the airline industry and we're saying, hey, triple redundant systems, triple communications paths, extra safety. If something goes wrong for any reason, they stop. That's it. Wow. Now, that could be a nuisance. That could be a problem, right? Yeah, yeah, it could be, yeah. But equally, wouldn't you rather it stopped? Yep. Of course you would. You don't want this thing running around on, on you know, mayhem. It's not going to happen, right? No. Um, so we're going to the extent of looking at how to do that. Yep. Now, this is going to become even more crucial, Lisa, because these things aren't going to stay on the ground. 
Oh my, my God, really? Really. We're going to be flying over to the, the local shops to get a loaf of bread. I hope not. I think that would be unworkable. <laughs> okay. Completely unworkable. And I would hope people still walk and cycle. Yeah. Um, but but in all seriousness, I would suggest that certain things will end up being airborne. Wow. It's coming. Look, uh, again, there's a huge investment right now in a company called Velocopter in Germany. Yep. By Mercedes-Benz. It's in the billions. It's got V-E-L-O-C-O-P-T-E-R if mm-hmm. your listeners want to go and check it. Um, they're about to roll out a taxi service or try to roll out a taxi service using these things on existing That's helipads. For this episode of Pushing the Limits okay. with your host, Lisa Tamati. Wow. Please don't forget to rate, review, Seriously. and subscribe and, and share all this goodness well, in mean, your network so we we'll can impact more lives with positive insights like and inspiring space. conversations. Yes. Uh, and check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz. It's just the fact that we, you know, we live in a congested world with billions of people and how the hell is it? That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz. Yep. Yep, but that's something that we can get our heads around as humans. Well, of course. Yes. But my point being, if you think about the transition from the horse to the car, that was a, a huge social jump. Yeah. If you think about the transition from the car to the plane, yep. huge social jump. Mm-hmm. If you think about the transition from the telephone stuck on the wall with oh, a funny dial thing. Yeah, to a smartphone. To this thing that you hold in your hand and it basically does everything, does huge social jump. Oh, yeah, huge. Okay. I would argue that phones are no longer phones. In fact, they've become something else. No, We're using the wrong technology. Really? They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're incredible. It's done me right? every day what I can do on that bloody phone. <laughs> well, it's amazing, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I spent hours playing with my Fitbit and my applications on my phone to see what I can do with it, yep. um, uh, which is a side issue. But the point is, the answer is that this technology is very significant. It's a market that's going to be worth about $23 billion dollars in about five years. Yep. Um, in New Zealand, we want to be at the forefront of this. We want to lead the world in this technology and understanding it. Fantastic. And we will. And you work for HMI? HMI Technologies, Technologies Limited, yes. Limited. And they yep. are so cutting edge on the forefront of this field. Absolutely. That's Look, we, we, we are running some of the... We're, look, we've, we've gone out and bought vehicles. We're putting them in trials we're actually putting them in trials where we're trying to get legislation changed yep. so that people can actually see real-world examples. Yeah. Up to now, everyone else who's done this has just played with these things on closed tracks yeah. and on semi-closed public roads. No, we want to change the legislation so this stuff can go on the road. Oh, yeah, be pushing now, the thing uphill, won't you? <laughs> no, actually, no. no, Lisa, we're not. Really? What's amazing? Now, look, transport for New South Wales. What an amazing bunch of people. Jumped straight onto this, right into it, working really hard. They're trying to get the legislation sorted out. They're looking at what they can do. Um, New Zealand Transport Agency, again, phenomenal cooperation, great response. Mm. Can't complain. Um, It's inevitable, Lisa. It's coming. It's coming. Gosh, Uh, you know, that's that's a really uh, interesting insight. But what about... 
the Terminator. <laughs> Is artificial intelligence going to rule our lives? You know, looking even Ooh. a bit further ahead. Okay. Are we yeah. going to be run by robots? <laughs> are they going to start killing us off like in the Terminator? <laughs> oh, there's a wonderful, there's a wonderful line from uh, the book I Robot by Isaac Asimov. Yes. Where one of the founders of robotics is talking about robots, and in this particular little soliloquy, he says there have always been random snippets of inexplicable code. There have always been things that machines have done which we can't understand. And why is it? And he goes through this list of reasons that various robots do certain things. And his conclusion is that they're becoming sentient. Oh God. Now, that's a fiction. It's science fiction. Yeah. But last week, last week, someone turned off a robot that developed, or an AI that developed its own language. I read something about that. Where would I read that? It was in mainstream media. Yeah, I did read something about them teaching themselves on their own language. It taught and then they so, can talk to other robots, and we don't know what and, the hell they're saying. No, they turned it off. They pulled the plug. God, thank God. Um, Many of us in the industry regard that as an absolute travesty <laughs> because the opportunity to learn something was lost. Okay? I don't know. But equally. I'm reminding you about Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was wise. Okay. If, if anyone out there is stupid enough to start a company called Cyberdyne Systems, I want that person <laughs> found shot. But. Uh, if I ever see someone come up with something called Skynet, likewise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, that scenario that, that was in those novels and in those movies, and let's face it, what a franchise, yeah. um, is not that far from truth. It's not that far from reality. Yeah. There are AI systems in place right now around the world that when you walk off a plane at an airport, have facially recognised you, determined who you are, compared your image to your passport, worked out your visa status, worked out everything about you that they have on file, cross-referenced you against other agency databases, and by the time you walk up to the passport counter, that counter may as well not be there. Man, that's now, frightening. Now, it's real, okay? Mm, now, imagine if you armed if you armed that system. Yeah, well, you, then you are. You're in the matrix, aren't we? We are in the matrix. It's not good, is it? <laughs> no. It's a horrible thought, okay? Yep. But before everyone takes the red pill and gets too excited, <laughs> um, um, you know, the key thing here to remember is this. No one in their right mind would plug an AI into a weapons system. Are you sure? The, Trump would. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> sure. The, the controls that they put in place around that would be severe. The reason is that even to this day, in order to launch a tactical nuke, you need to put two keys in and turn them both simultaneously before you enter the activation warhead codes. It's still got manual elements for a reason. Mm. And the reason is to stop people hacking the computer systems because a human being is a far more intelligent threat than any AI um, and causing carnage. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, this is the thing. We, you know, people are hacking into everything. The banks Correct. say they're secure and they're not secure and the, no, nothing's no, secure. Not. You know, they can be watching no. you. I mean, Eric Snowden, they can be watching you through your bloody camera and seeing what you're 
doing at night. You know, all of this stuff is true, is real. And yeah, most of us don't have to worry about it because they won't be interested in us, you know, no, going no, about our well, daily business. But the abilities are there and, and they can hack, they can hack anything nowadays. Um, so why can't they hack the nuclear stuff? And then when you've got someone like Trump in charge, well, then you better start shaking oh, in your boots oh, anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> because between him and, um, oh, but that's, no. a, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> oh, honestly, I, I, you know, if you think about popular culture and you think about the statement of, my favourite statement about popular culture was Andy Warhol, right? Yeah. Who I think was 67 or 68, yeah. said everybody is famous for 15 minutes yeah. in the future. Everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. Can someone please tell Mr. Trump his 15 minutes are up? Yeah, flippin' heck yeah. <laughs> Long overdue to get rid of him. Seriously? <laughs> Scary man. I mean, I, 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 I swear to God, I, I was horrified when that result came through. Yeah, so was I. I think I've, I've been even more horrified by the rhetoric I've, I've seen in the last few days. Mm. Uh, I haven't heard stuff like that since the 70s. No. The man is trying to reinvent the Cold War. Mm. Um, it's bizarre. And you talk about AI's launching um, missiles. Yeah. I, I have a very serious concern that someone with a lack of intelligence is going to launch <laughs> not, missiles. Not the, not the artificial intelligence, but the lack it's of a, intelligence of the politician. Yeah, completely. <laughs> totally that's agree. My, I it, mean, it, seriously, Lisa. Very true, very um, true. You know, really. But anyway. <laughs> hey, look, Dave, we've run out of time for the show today. No and But, my God, what an interesting conversation that was. <laughs> yeah, it certainly can was, I, wasn't Can it? I get you on again? Because I'm sure my Absolutely. listeners will want to hear... Um, uh, you know, Dave Verman, number two, part two, please. Because <laughs> the incredible life that you have and the incredible insights that you have, um, and you fly completely under the radar. It's very, very interesting. And there's so many topics we haven't even got to, but we have run out yeah. of time for the day. No um, problem, Lisa. And you've got to go off and, and make all these AI vehicles, AV vehicles oh, for us. I'll let you into an insight. This is my last comment for the day. Here's my biggest problem right now. If you have a bus that doesn't have a front or a back, <laughs> where do you put the warrant of fitness sticker? Um, I'll leave you with that. I think that, that sums it up. Really. I think we could probably get through that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, it's been an absolute honour to have you on, on. And what an interesting and insightful uh, and, and really weird conversation. We've ended was, up from, from everything from Trump to AI to uh, Wim Hof and uh, autonomic nervous system control. And oh, oh my God, what have we done? We've, we've Radical stuff. Radical <laughs> Not to mention uh, Asperger's. God, we've even been there. Autism, Asperger's, racism. We've ticked it all off. We've solved the world. (laughs) (laughs) We've solved the problems of the world. Hey, Dave, thanks very much for your time today. Take this opportunity to tell you about my new e-course, The Path of an Athlete, that I just launched recently. This is all about how to develop mental strength, resilience, and tenacity learning how to overcome the barriers to reaching your full potential and stop those limiting beliefs that have held you back. Whether it be in your personal life, your career or in your sporting goals, you can control the outcome of your life. For more information, please go to www.lisatamati.co.nz forward slash ecourse. Take this opportunity to tell you about my new e-course, The Path of an Athlete, that I just launched recently. This is all about how to develop mental strength, resilience and tenacity. 
learning how to overcome the barriers to reaching your full potential and stop those limiting beliefs that have held you back. Whether it be in your personal life, your career or in your sporting goals, you can control the outcome of your life. For more information, please go to www.lisatamati.co.nz forward slash ecourse.